continue to do that in just a moment, but right now we want to welcome our guests. We are glad that you are here, and uh, we just want to say welcome. We do that every week, and we really mean it, and we want to ask you to do one small thing for us, and that is to take the welcome sheet out of your bulletin. I believe Terry Guest is soloing today, and he's going to have these in his hand. Uh, if you didn't get one, the welcome sheet sticks out the side. It says welcome in big bold letters. It's hard to miss. If you would fill that out. Maybe drop that in the offering plate for us. We'd like a chance to get to know you a little better. But especially if you're a first-time guest, we'd like to ask you to do that is right after service to go out those double doors and turn to your left. The welcome counter is there. Someone there would like to meet you right there today. Thank you for coming. Are you glad to be in the Lord's house? Are you ready to continue our worship by fellowship? We're going to do that now. Stand and find a couple of people you haven't been able to say hello to yet. Tell them you are glad to see them in the house of the Lord as we worship through fellowship.
sing this song about the foundation that we have in Christ that we find in His Word fully revealed. Lord, as we sing this hymn of the faith, I pray, God, that you will focus our minds as we prepare to hear that word in just a little bit. Thank you for it. How firm our foundation saves how the Lord is laid for your
Worship Our God is healer, he is awesome and powerful. 
if our God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is no one. Not our circumstances, not Satan, not our sin, because God is for us. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is for us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is for us, then what could stand against? What could stand against? What could stand against? Would you declare that chorus with us? Sing it loud. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than more to God than you, your marriage, and your family. He created everything, and that of course includes not only you, but marriage and the family. Man didn't think it up. Society didn't invent it. God did. It's his idea, and it's his plan we should be following. To give us some idea how important both are to God, only two chapters into the Bible, and God is telling us about his design for both. How it is that we can experience the delight and the joy of life together, husband and wife, in the marriage relationship. How the family is to function, parents and children. It's not just a matter of good advice. It's following the divine blueprint. As with everything in life, you have a choice to make. 
God's plan, do things God's way, or pursue your own ideas and try doing things your own way. God says, here it is. Follow this plan and experience my blessing on your life, your marriage, and your family. Disregard it, and you'll likely be disappointed, disillusioned, and certainly missing out on God's best. In a world that says marriage is optional, disposable, and redefinable, God says it is for one man and one woman. It is permanent and a sacred mystery. Psalm 128 says it best. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Good morning again, Dorsville. Oh, you guys sound tired. This is the week before Bible school, not the week after. You know, some of you guys have just experienced your first week out of school. Good morning, Dorisville. There you go. All right. Hey, take your Bibles this morning. And uh, tell you what, go ahead and turn to John 15, 5. I'm going to read it to you in just a moment. We're in the middle of a series. And a series, for those of you who might be guests, are, we take four or five weeks. We talk about something that's tied together. And as you can see on our sermon slide this morning, Divine Design, we're talking about the family and how God kind of has an opinion. And more than an opinion, he has this great design for this thing called the family. And we started out by teaching from John chapter 15 and verse number 5. And here's what Jesus Christ said. He said, I am the vine, and you can say play on words, I am divine, okay? I am the vine, you are the branches. Do you see the relationship there? He's the trunk, and we're a branch off that trunk. And then it goes on to this. He who abides in me, who um, abasks in me, who lingers with me, who, who loves me, has intimacy with me, he who abides in me, and I in him, the same way, bears much fruit. In other words, there's prosperity, not in the worldly sense, but there's spiritual prosperity in the areas of life. And that goes way beyond family, by the way, but it does include family. But then he says this. He goes on and says, Neither can you do anything without me. Neither can you do anything without me. So he's saying this, that without him as the, as the vine and we as branches... We don't have any power. Now, again, it's not that you can't be a parent. It's not that you can't be a husband. It's not that you can't be a wife. It's not that you can't be an executive. But you can't be what God created you to be unless you are attached to the vine and then drawing strength from the vine and abiding in the vine. Now, I need to be honest with you. First off, this. What Jesus is talking about there is a personal relationship with him. He's not talking about going to church. He's not talking about uh, you know, having some sort of religious experience. He's not talking about any of that. He is talking about believing that he is the risen son of God, that 2,000 years ago a man named Jesus Christ, fully God yet fully man, lived a sinless life. He was crucified, but that was cool because it wasn't that they murdered him. He laid his life down. He said, I had the power to lay it down and power to pick it up. And then they buried him, and they thought it was game over. And the third day, he resurrected the third day, he came back to life. Now, that is, that's very significant. And it's so cool because it's like way supported by historical documents, including the Word of God. And so then we have that. He ascends back to the Father, and then one day he's coming back for us. I know it's an incredible story, but hey, he's an incredible God. He really is. 
So he then invites people like us into relationship with him, and that's what the vine branch relationship is. So then we talked about the first week and this idea of the family. We talked about something that wrecks havoc with the family. It's the nuclear bomb. And that is sexual immorality. We talked about sexual immorality in the family, in the marriage situation, where a husband or wife steps out, breaks the vows of a marriage and has an affair. But we also talked to the single folks about how God has a plan and says that sexual sin is different than all the rest. Somehow, he said, you know, every man, a man, every sin a man commits is outside the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That somehow sexual sin is in a whole different category. And I think what Paul was kind of saying was is that when we sin sexually, not, it doesn't just stay in our past. It's more than just a physical act. It follows us through our life. The consequences, yes, there's forgiveness. Yes, there's forgiveness. But the consequences of that sexual sin follows us into our future and into our present. So it's hugely important that we get divine purity, that we understand that there are sexual principles, but they're inside the Word of God. And how does God define that? Between a man and a woman... Amen? In marriage vows. Did you say that? Is that right? That's right. Okay. Now we're going to talk about another cool topic today, and that is divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. How do you choose the right mate? Now here's the deal. We know the numbers, right? The numbers are inside the church, 51% of believers, in quotes, 51% of people who go to church end up in divorce court. Half. And by the way, that's just about exactly slightly more than what the world has. So what, what's up with that? Well, if you're talking to these people, I've got a feeling that a lot of them would say, well, the problem was, you see, Dwayne, that I made a bad choice, that I married the wrong person. Okay? And incredibly enough, sometimes they marry the wrong person several times, different people, but they always marry the wrong person. Um, but somehow they would get in their mind that what happened was I married the wrong person. And I've and that, that may be true. I mean, there are some guys and there are some ladies that really are the wrong person. But sometimes it's just the wrong type of person. We set ourselves up for failure in marriage because we choose the wrong type of person. And that's what we want to talk about today um, in, in the Scripture. God has a whole lot to say about that. Of all the decisions we make, you know, you buy a pair of shoes, you pay $70, $89 for a pair of shoes, and you choose the wrong shoes, your feet may hurt for a few days, and you may end up donating them to... Souls for souls. A worthy cause. All right? If you buy a car you can't afford, a couple of things could happen. You end up going bankrupt. They, they drive in your driveway with those wreckers, and they hook onto your car and haul your car away. Perhaps for the few years that you're making the payments, for the five or six years now that you're making the payments, you're in incredible stress, and your life is miserable. But the bottom line is, it's not a situation where it's, you know, it's irrevocable. It eventually will go away. But man, choose the wrong mate, it has huge implications. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you today, 15 years old and up, are single? 15 years old. Raise your hands. 15 years. Adults, too. Adults, too. Cool. Okay, great. Widows? Widowers? Okay, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, very good. Okay, good. All right, now, now you're saying, Dwayne, that's, that's, like, that's like this much of the congregation. What's in this for me? Well, here you go. The principles I'm going to share with you today Talk about partnerships. And I think, and I, I don't even think, I know that the scripture that we're going to look at today applies not only to marriage, but applies to partnerships throughout life. Many of you today 
are in bad situations business-wise because you decide to go into partnership with this kind of person we're going to talk about. And so, consequently, I hope they'll take the teaching. If you're happily married today, I applaud you. That's great. You say, Dwayne, this doesn't apply to me. Then listen for the teaching. I'm going to talk mainly to the single folks, but listen for the teaching and apply it to all the areas of your life. All right? So we're going to start out today by, by looking at James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Great scripture on wisdom. All right? So, so what do you do? When you're trying to make a right decision. So what do you do when you're getting serious? Okay, you're 15 or 16 years old. You're you're thinking about serious relationships. You're 20 years old. You're really thinking about serious relationships. Perhaps 21, 22, and you are really looking. Your clock is ticking and you're going, it's about time for me to choose a life mate. What do you do? Well, there's several places you can go for advice. The first thing you can do, and often it's amazing... Young people are more likely to go to their friends than they are anybody else for advice. So you could probably say, well, you know what? I, I, I'll go ask my girlfriend. Now, girlfriend as in the sense of girlfriend to girlfriend. You know, hey, girlfriend. You know, well, well, what do you think about? Who, you know, who should I look for? What should I marry? Do you think this would be a good choice for me? The only problem is with going to your friends, chances are they're as clueless as you are. It's the blind leading the blind. They don't have the experience, most likely, in that situation. And so consequently, they're as clueless as you. So probably going to your friends is not a good place to find solid advice about how you should choose a life mate. And frankly, it's probably true in business also. Often your friends will tell you exactly what you want to hear. So then you say, well, I will go to other adults. That's cool as long as you're careful what adult you choose to go to, depending on where they've been and where they are, will, will their life experiences will determine the advice they give you. Now, we're going to hear in just a few moments that God's Word clearly teaches that when we enter partnerships and relationships, when we choose a life mate, we are, if we are a believer, we're to choose another believer. And often, if you're not careful, you'll find an adult. And one person comes to my mind that I knew back in Cobden, Illinois, and I preached on this, and here she comes, you know, Brother Dwayne. Brother Dwayne, I want to tell you my story. Well, I already knew her story, but she wanted to tell me all over again. Here's her story. She was outside of church. Now, she was a believer, but she you know, went to college, did the college thing, and got outside of church. And so she met a, a man. And they both, I think I can safely say, were living in sin and all the stuff that that implies there. But somehow, she got back in church, okay? They got married, and she got back in church, and he eventually got saved. And she would say to you, oh, but listen, it turned out so wonderful. You see, I, you know, I, I saved him. I redeemed him. She forgot to mention the fact that she's been a hypocrite while she was doing that because she claimed to be a believer and was sleeping with him. Okay? Uh, hello, are you there? So she would tell you, if you wouldn't ask her, oh, listen, honey, it don't matter if he's saved or lost, carnal or not. It doesn't matter because, see, God can work miracles. And God can work miracles, but do not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay? So, so if you choose that kind of an adult, you get a situation. However, if you can find a really cool, godly adult, that might be a pretty good place for advice. Now, sometimes you go to mom and daddy. And that I want to encourage you to include your mom and dad in the decision about life made. All right? But here's the deal. Also, just kind of weigh that. If mom is in her fourth marriage... Even though she's your mama, she might not be a good choice for advice concerning choosing a life mate. 
Okay, I'm, I'm just, let's just be candid today. Okay, if your mom and dad had the worst marriage in the world, maybe not the person you want to talk to about how to choose a mate to have a happy marriage. And then there's this other factor. There's that problem of love. A lot of parents don't have the courage to tell the child what they want to hear. You know, if pretty wants it, pretty gets it. So you drag home this bum, you know, that hadn't, hadn't ever worked in his life, okay? You know, he's been arrested for drugs three times, lost his license two months ago. You're driving him around because he didn't have a license. And sometimes, because mom and daddy, quote, love you so much, oh, well, honey, if that's what you want, bad advice. Bad advice. So, so where do you turn? Young people, if this decision is so huge, where do you turn? Well, it says there in the, in the sermon sheet in James chapter 1, ask God. Ask God. Now, again, we're talking to believers today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you are looking for a life mate, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you are facing a huge financial decision, should I go into partnership with another person? Ask God. Here's what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom is the ability to use knowledge, the implementation of knowledge. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God says, if you want advice in choosing a life mate, if you want advice in a right business decision, if you want, a, if you want good advice in parenting, if you want good advice in marriage, ask God. And he will give to you generously. Okay? Now, question. So, how exactly does God give advice? I mean, I have to admit, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I really feel like God speaks to my heart regularly, especially in my sermon preparation. So, how does God speak? This is huge. The main tool is right here. See, I keep, I, I tell people, I keep telling these young couples, you know, excuse me if I repeat myself from two weeks ago. I now have gotten in the habit of sitting down with young couples. And I give the same thing I give you in week one. I say, guys... I've seen marginal Christians get divorced. I've seen a sold-out Christian with a marginal Christian get divorced. But I've never seen two totally devoted followers of Jesus Christ get divorced. I've never seen it. I could tell you to write Oprah. Maybe Oprah can tell you how to choose a mate. Perhaps you can go on, on Amazon.com and get a book, and it will tell you how to get a right choice. But the truth is, there's one source of truth. It's this book. As David was leading us to song, Our God is able, our God, if we let him. If we just ignore him, if we this book has so much help for us in every area of our life, but if it becomes a place, a dust catcher on our coffee table, what power is that? If you come every week and you hear the word of God preached. And it does nothing as far as implementation. What power is that? If you go to Sunday school class and your teacher prepares and teaches the Word of God, but you refuse to let it penetrate and get into your life, what good is that? So God uses His Word. But in order for there to be an effective power of the Word, you've got to get into the Word and let the Word get into you and change you. You've got to do what it says. You'll be hearing that next couple of weeks. 
even into the next series we're playing after this one. No, the second one is this. Godly counsel. You know, young people, you probably know some folks. Single adults, you know some folks. Those of you in other situations and business dealings, you know some folks who you value their counsel. You know they will not tell you what you want to hear. They will tell you what you need to hear, and that is true. You need to seek those people out. That is how God speaks. God will often speak to people and say, hey, what do you think about this? And then God will use that person to speak into your heart, into your life, and help you make the right decision. Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes you'll be trying to decide, should you marry a person? And you go to church, and some preacher preaches on how to choose your mate. Hello? If you haven't been to church in three months, and all of a sudden you find yourself here today, just maybe, just maybe, God puts you here because the pastor is going to speak from God's Word about how to choose the right mate. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, it will be given him. But, but watch, it goes further. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So you've got to ask in faith. You've got to ask in sincerity. You've got to say, God, I don't want to make a mistake. Would you please help me choose the right mate? Will you please help me know if this deal's the right deal? And God will give you wisdom through his word, through generous, wise counsel, through circumstances. If you'll listen, he'll speak. But listen to the grave consequences of hearing and not doing. Look what it says. For that person, the person who doubts, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, if we go to God and say, hey God, what do you think? And then we tune God out, we're unstable in all our ways. We are walking into a train wreck. It's not enough to pray about a matter. It's not enough for the preacher to preach about a matter. We've got to get it ingrained in us. So why are you so passionate about this? 51%. Why are you so passionate about it? I've seen marriages of 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 50 years fall apart. And the person would tell you, married the wrong guy. Married the wrong woman. It just didn't happen. That's why. And the pain of choosing the wrong mate is horrible. So ask God. Following along, I've already preached about it. Secondly, this. Not only do we need to ask God, we need to do what God says. Interesting scripture from Job 28, 28. Again, let me read it to you. And he said to man, God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To respect the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To say, God, I need your input. I need you. Say, I need you. I need you, God. I need your input on this deal. I don't want to mess it up. And then he says this. Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. In other words, to do what God says. That is understanding. That's application. To do what he says. Okay, so what do we do? We ask God. He will give us wisdom. We need to ask in sincerity. If we don't, we understand the consequences. When God speaks, we need to respect what he says and do what he says. And that leads us then in the last point. Actually, did you notice I kind of flipped that around? 
You'll figure it out in a minute. This is what God says. In First Corinthians, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter six, verse fourteen, he says this: Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. Do not be unmatched with unbelievers. Now let me pause right here. If you're listening on the radio, or if you're here today, a little ding went off on you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, there's a little ding that went off on you. And you're saying to yourself, and that's why I don't like Christians. You think that you're better than me. You think because I'm not a believer that the believer should not marry me because somehow she's better than me. He's better than me. No, time out. See, the King James, the New King James, uses a very good translation. It says this, do not be unequally yoked together. Simply it's this. In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, God's law said it was wrong to put an ox and a donkey together. And the reason why is that the ox was stronger than the donkey and it would cause one or the other increased pain in their life. They, they were not productive. They could not plow effectively, and the donkey or the ox one would be put in pain by the yoke. And God says that's wrong. And God who made people understands that the truth is that a believer and an unbeliever are just different birds. Not better than one another. One's just forgiven and one's not. One has a different priority than the other. One has different passions than the other's. And God says when you put those two together, it just doesn't work. And God wants more than anything for your marriage to work. So it's so crucially important that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you seek out someone who loves God like you love God. Someone who loves Christ as you love Christ. Someone who has the same passion that you have about God. Do not be Mismatched. He, he goes on and explains it very clearly. He says this, What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Biel? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? He's saying it's two different birds. It's two different animals. And guys, it doesn't work. Now, young people, the ones that aren't talking, I'm telling you, if, I, if, if there was courageous enough and there was time, I could bring adult after adult who would tell you, this is my story. I married a non-believer. I married a carnal Christian. And we never were on the same page. And either A, we got divorced, or B, we're together and I'm miserable. This is huge. Now I'm going to tell you, Mama and Daddy, first off, earn your child's ear by your relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. Earn your child's ear by your relationship with Jesus Christ. Earn your child's ear by your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, for goodness sake, Talk to your child about their life mate. Have the courage, no matter how much you love that child, have the courage to tell that child the truth. 
he or she is not a good choice. Have the courage to help your child make the right choice. Because God's Word says we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is so hugely important. And guys, let you single folks off the hook for a moment. Business? When you choose your business partner, and you pick one of the most carnal people in town, and get, excuse the phrase, all you get in bed with them, Business-wise? Hello? And you wonder why? You say we shouldn't do this because it's a violation of God's Word. And they say, what's God's Word? We are not to be, we're to be separate from the world, but we are to have friendship with the lost so we can win them to Jesus Christ. But before you have very close, intimate relationships with another woman, if you're a woman with another woman, man with another man, and you confide in that person, you get your advice in that person, for goodness sake, make sure they believe like you do. What fellowship have light with darkness? Unrighteousness with righteousness. Christ with Baal. Guys, I don't want you to go through the pain. See, God understood what bad decisions cause. God understands what bad decisions cause. Because He was looking on as a girl named Eve chose to disobey God. And then Adam jumped right to suit. And he watched the horror of sin envelop this world. He knows the consequences of bad choices because it cost him his son Jesus Christ. And choosing the wrong mate, the cost is huge. I personally believe that, again, when people are married, they become one flesh. And when, when divorce happens, it literally is like ripping two people apart. Children are ripped apart and often made to choose between mama and daddy. God understands that. So he said, make sure the person you have has the same beliefs. In a scripture that, that I'm going to refer you to at the end and... and um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this. First he says, I, I, excuse me, the Lord, not me, the Lord commands this. And then he says, I, not the Lord, say this. Can I say something? Here's what I found out. Young ladies, listen to me. Here's what I found out. You're all pretty. You know, you're, you're 16 years old and you got the makeup going on. And you got the eyes done right, you know, and you're all tanned up pretty, you know. And some dude sees you at school. See? And so you, you, he comes up and he says, hey, you want to go out Friday night? And you say, I don't date unbelievers. He said, dear Jesus, forgive my sins. Now you want to go out Friday night? All of a sudden, I see more boys have religious experiences over girls. Not only make sure, now watch now, I, not I, I mean I, not the Lord. Make sure that not only are you dating a believer with believer, but I'm telling you what, if you are truly passionate about Jesus Christ, you probably ought not to marry a marginal Christian. 
Because what's going to happen, you're going to say, well, I'll bring him up. Well, we're going to see in just a moment how that doesn't happen. So it's important we find a mate. It's important we find a business partner that thinks and values the things that we think and value. So what does it look like when it doesn't happen? Rarely do I go back and use the exact same scripture. And matter of fact, these are not the same scriptures. But two years ago, I preached on this topic. And the two examples I used in the Old Testament, I could not find any better examples. And you find those on the first page of your sermon sheet, on the front page of your sermon sheet. I couldn't find anything better. What happens? What is it like when we don't follow God's word in this area? What is it like when we get a bad business partner? What is it like when we have a wrong life partner? What happens? What's it like? Well, first off, we see this in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. Now, how many of y'all remember the guy named Solomon from the Bible? Come on, say, I do. Come on, y'all. Come on, listen up. Yeah, we remember Solomon. Remember, he was the, he was the son of David, okay? And, and he was destined to be the king following David. So daddy, daddy is dying. I mean, he's dying. He's on his last, he's on his deathbed, okay? And he wants to give Solomon some advice. Here's what he says. Solomon, be strong. Solomon, be courageous. Like a man. Follow God and do, say do, do what he says. David died. Solomon becomes king. God appears to Solomon in a dream. And God says, so, what would you like for me to do for you? I mean, he just said, I want a new Mercedes. I want all the money in the world. He was cool. He goes, I want to have wisdom so I can rightly lead your people. And God says, hey, that's great. You know what? You could have asked for money and you didn't. So because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you that wisdom. And then I'm going to give you money too. So what Solomon's famous for, the wisest guy in the world and the richest guy in the world. Say the wisest guy, the richest guy. He has got it going on. And then you know what he went out and did? Exactly what he wanted to do. First thing he does is go down and marry Pharaoh's daughter. So he'll have an alliance with Egypt. Let's read the scripture. It's 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. That was the first one. The Moabite, the Ammonite, the Ammonite, the Sidonite, and the Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. God says, Don't do it. Like the pastor used the word God saying, don't do it. The wisest guy, the richest guy, daddy on his deathbed, be courageous, be strong, follow God, do what he says. Solomon loved many foreign women. Isn't that interesting? You know what happened? 
I know what it is because he's the wisest guy. Like he's a radical Jesus guy. He's in love with God. He turned around, was the greatest evangelist in the world, and all the women were one to Jesus Christ or God in the kingdom. And man, he had a great... No, that's not what happened. Here's what happens. He had 700 wives. Now, you've got to wonder about that. How many of y'all can handle one, men? Yeah, you know? I don't know, Gary. You raise your hand. I'm not sure you got a handle on Deborah yet or not. I don't know. I don't know. No, 700 wives, princesses, and then he had 300 girlfriends on the side. And this is Mr. God, 300 concubines. Now watch. Verse number 3. And his wives turned away his heart. Now, wait a minute. I, Solomon was strong in the Lord, and surely he turned his wives. No, 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 no. See, it's a thing of spiritual gravity or unspiritual gravity. Because you see, you're going to marry somebody. He is good looking. He has got Mr. Personality. Tall, dark, and handsome. I mean, just everything. And, but he doesn't have God. So you say, I'm a believer. I will pull him up. See, I'll rescue him. I'll save him. And that's what happens. He pulls you down. Look what it says. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. I'm just telling you guys, sometimes, sometimes, him up. That was the story from Lady in Cotton. Somehow she was able to help that person discover Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. How many of you really are going to fund your retirement buying a lottery ticket? You know why you don't? Because you know the odds you're not going to win. And I'm telling you, single person, the odds of you winning in this are small. And the consequences are horrible. You won't pull him up, most likely. He will pull you down. And you'll bear the consequences later. Remember, daddy dying. Son, be strong, be courageous, follow God, do what he says. God says, I'll give you all the wisdom and all the money. And this is the end result of a guy who said, No, God. I can handle it. He couldn't. And guess what? Young people, you can't either. Single adults, you can't either. Businessmen, you can't either. Well, Dwayne, does it always turn out like that? No, sometimes it's a little better. Sometimes it's a little better. In our next scripture that we find in 2 Samuel 6, 16 and 20 through 21, we have a love story. Here's the love story. David, the shepherd boy, kills Goliath, kind of gets halfway in good with Saul until he gets jealous. Saul, in an attempt to kill David, really, says, if you'll do this, I'll give you my daughter, Michael. He gets Michael, and Michael loved David. Say, Michael loved David. I know it's like a girl named a boy named Sue. I know, but that was her name. Michael the girl loved David the boy. 
case you're listening on the radio. Okay? So they're married. Saul hates David. So then Saul decides he's going to murder David. Michael, the girl, saves David. She gets wind and says, you need to get out of here because my dad's going to send assassins to kill you. And, and she makes the bed up and puts some straw or something in there, makes like a body. And then she gets the household idol and puts that as the head and kind of covers it up. The assassins show up and think they're going to kill David, and David's not there, and Michael saved David's life. But did you catch that little tidbit of information? The household idol. See, Michael, the girl Michael, was a God follower in the broadest sense. But her heart was not like David's heart. Why would a follower of God, Jehovah God, have household idols? She had divided loyalties. She had divided passions. So David goes on the run. While David's on the run, Saul takes his daughter Michael and gives her to another guy to marry. David's just heartbroken. Eventually, Saul is killed and David becomes king. He says, the first thing I want you to do if you want to come into relationship, you know, come in this relationship as king and country, I want you to go and get my wife, Michael, and bring her back to me. <laughs> so they go over to Michael's house with her new husband and grabs Michael and hauls her back to David. And the Bible literally says, the husband's going, but she's my wife, she's my wife. And Michael goes back and lives with David. Is that a twisted tale or what? Now, how do you think this marriage is going to act? How is it going to pan out? Let's look. David has gone down and brought the ark back into Jerusalem. The ark of the covenant back into Jerusalem. And he is, one, he is passionate about God. Okay? Watch this. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Jerusalem, Michael, the daughter of Saul looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. So she looks out her window, and there, and you Baptists would struggle with this. Well, I guess I'm one too. <laughs> but anyway, so she looks out the window, and there's David going, mm, he's just wound up, praising God, dancing before God. He is one excited guy. And the process, he's taking off his outer robe. Okay? And here's what the Bible says. And Michael despised him in her heart. You know why she despised him? Because she didn't have the same passion as him. Remember when I said, this is Dwayne saying, you better marry someone that's kind of on the same level as you spiritually, your same goals. If God's calling you to be a missionary, you better marry a guy that's kind of got that kind of heart. Here it is. They both were, quote, God followers. Man, her heart is so different from David's. And when she sees David totally enraptured in worship of God, she despises him. That's why you've got to kind of get this right. Because that's what happens. Honey, are we going to church today? No, you go on. Honey, you want to read the Bible together? No, but I'll watch Desperate Housewives with you. 
And David returns. Poor David, he's, he's clueless, you know. He's out there going, man, I went to church, and we had the most awesome time I was dancing for. I'm going to go back and bless my household. He goes back to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter, saw Now, you notice that? It's not Michael, the wife of David. It's Michael, the daughter of Saul. Twice it says that. Michael, the, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, <clears throat> filled with sarcasm, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. Oh, David, weren't you something today, out dancing before all the girls with your outer tunic on? My, my, I'm so spiritual, I think that's wrong. Sarcasm, sarcasm. What would have been a pinnacle day for David and should have been for his household because of that unequal footing comes crashing down. And here's what the Bible says. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Egypt, the people of the Lord. And I will make merry before the Lord. So let me tell you something. Michael... I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to worship God. Okay? I don't know what your passion is. It's obviously not what my passion is. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to worship the Lord. And that is the struggle you're going to find the rest of your life if you don't choose carefully. What do you do? Hey, young folks, give me about five. Number one. How many of y'all are already dating? Your mom and dad allowed you to date. Cool. Okay, cool. All right. Some of y'all will start real soon, okay? Don't date anybody you don't want to marry. Don't date anyone you don't want to marry. Decide now what the standard is. And say, okay, I know what the Word of God says. I'm choosing the Word of God. And He doesn't line up with the Word of God, so I'm not going to date Him. Choose now who you're going to date. And make the standard, I won't date him unless I'm willing to marry him. And I won't marry him unless he lines up with the word of God. You mind if I get in trouble? Isn't it crazy how we send off our daughters to prom night? Which, which is an incredibly long night, often all night, with guys we know very little about. He may be the captain of the football team, but he regularly talks about how many girls he conquered this year. And we send our daughter off because she's going to prom with the captain of the football team. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it incredible? We know more about the Cubs and the Cardinals than we do the boy that our daughter's dating. Can I have a little witness? Guys, moms and dads, this is a huge thing. Now's the time to help your child, help your child, help your child make those right decisions by living out your relationship with Jesus. Earn their ear in that area. Help them. Help them in this area. I'm going to give you that website one more time. 
www.northpoint.org. I listened to the last message of Andy Stanley's series, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. I love dating and sex. Here's what I told my wife. And Brent, this is my advice. If I could make every teenager, probably start at age 15, if I knew somewhere in the future I was going to do their wedding ceremony, I would make them watch that video first four years ahead of time. He did an incredible job of laying down some standards and paths that will lead to a destination that you want to go to. See, Pooter, intention does not determine destination. Path does. I intended to marry the right guy. I intended for it to go well. I intended to do the right thing. Intentions don't determine destination. Path does. And mom and daddy, you've got to help your child get on this right path. And we as a church, Brent, have to help them get on the right path. Because I tell you what, if we don't, we're going to continue with the same results we've got. Broken hearts, broken marriages, marginal marriages, mismatched marriages, unequally yoked marriages. And you know what that result in? 51% of them. 51%. I want to challenge you today as your pastor. And please, time out one more time. If you're here today you're not believing in Jesus Christ, we're not better than you. Don't go home and say that, Pastor. We're not better than you. I'm just telling you, it's like a Cardinals fan marrying a Cubs fan. Doesn't work very well. Especially like, can you imagine like Ken Erickson with a Cardinals fan? Never would work. Not saying we're better than you. We need to help our kids get on this right path. So we can change destinies. And when we change destinies, we change a city. And we change a city, we change a county. And we change a county, we change a region. And we change a region, we change a state. And we change a state, we change a nation. Now, apply that to business. Same thing. Same thing. Don't be unequally yoked together. It's painful. It grates. It's hard. Would you bow your heads right there? Father, I come to you right now. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, I know that if a mere man spoke this today, it is a nice speech. But my prayer, Father, is by your anointing and through the Holy Spirit that you have spoken. Father, I want to pray for every single person in this room. I pray, Father, that you will touch their hearts and lives with this message. I pray, Father, that they would not only hear, but they'd be willing to do. I pray for every mother and father of these younger, younger adults and children. That they would have the courage, Father, to help their children follow the counsel of God. 
I pray for strength when strength is needed. And I pray for courage when courage is needed. And Father, how I pray for wisdom today. How I pray for wisdom today. I pray, Father, that as parents, we would live godly examples before our children and earn their ear and earn their trust and earn their heart. I pray for that. Father, I want to pray one more time for those who find themselves today in difficult marriages, maybe perhaps at this very topic. And Father, I just want to pray, God, that you'll give them the compassion and the love, the wisdom, the courage to be obedient to your word also. I believe, Father, that all things are possible through you. We have heard stories of incredible miracles in marriage. I pray for miracles in marriages today. Thanks, God, for your word. Thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet, please, and just bow your head right there. Dave's going to sing for us. It's God time. This is time for you to do, God. If I can pray with you down here at the altar, I'd be glad to do that. Brother Brent will be standing down front. We have counselors available. If there's anything we can do to pray with you, we certainly want to do that. As, as David sings, and we pray.
But I want to promise you this. As your pastor, I promise you this. If you do it God's way, you'll be a happier person in life. If you do God's way, you'll be more satisfied in life. Seek out some folks. Find out some folks. And they'll tell you the same thing. You can find some that did it their way, and they'll tell you the tragedy. Find something that did God's way, and they'll tell you the victory. You probably need to hear both sides of the story. It's true in business. God honors it in business. God honors it. I'm going to ask Brother Brent to come up here and grab a mic in just a moment. I thought about having the young people, the singles come forward, but we won't do that. But I want to ask our youth pastor to pray for the single adults and young people our church building right now today and those listening on the radio. I want to ask him to pray specifically for you. That God will give you the strength and that we'll do our part in helping you make those tough calls. Knowing that you don't stand by yourself. That we stand with you. Mom and Daddy, that we stand with you as you make the hard calls and make the right decisions. Before he prays, let me just make sure you know that Brenda Winters, my mother passed away and Bethany Anderson's mom, Honey, Hardwood, the visitation is happening from 3 to 8. The Freed's service tomorrow at 11. Please remember them in prayer. So I want you to make sure you know that. But, uh, Brother Graham, would you pray? Would you pray for me? Can you all bow? Grab hands. Heavenly Father, please bow before you. Heavenly Father, I'm asking to pray for these young people. I just pray that you just work as only you can. And the Father, your scripture says, seek first your kingdom and his righteousness will be added to us. Therefore, Father, I just pray that these kids would put their, your will in front of them, that they would seek your will and know your will, spend time in his word, that they might seek you, Heavenly Father, with all their heart. Heavenly Father, I know that you have got somebody out there Father, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for uh, man's parents out.
more time just as a reminder. We do have uh, that BBS set up is today at 2. Please come back and help if you can. There is opportunities to serve. As we put the chairs up, brothers, if you'll give me a hand with the stage, we'll take care of that now. Your help is much appreciated. There will be no services here tonight as all afternoon is dedicated to setting up. Have a great afternoon.